Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Uh, glad you're here. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day. We are on episode 153. We've got a great guest for you we're going to tell you about here in just a moment. But before we get there, let me quickly remind you, if you haven't already, definitely stop by and check out myspeakerfee.com. You're like, wait, what is that? Well, we put together a speaking fee calculator to help you figure out just kind of a ballpark, a range, kind of an idea of what you might want to charge as a speaker. Now, it's not an exact science. There's a lot of variables that go into it. But if you're going, hey, I'm interested in speaking, no idea how much I should be charging though. There are absolutely a lot of variables that go into it. We want to simplify that and break that down for you. Stop by myspeakerfee.com. It's a free tool. Basically, you just answer a couple questions and it'll spit out a number at you and tell you what you might be able to charge as a speaker. So definitely check that out over at myspeakerfee.com. All right, so let's get to today's guest. Today, we're going to be talking with my buddy Nick Morgan from publicwords.com. Nick, is the author of several books, including the book, Give Your Speech, Change the World. Great book, one that I read several years ago. And so excited and honored to be uh, chatting with Nick today. So we're going to be talking about how do most speakers drop the ball in their presentation and delivery. Nick is, is an expert whenever it comes to delivery and presentations and structuring presentations. So we talk through where a lot of speakers drop the ball in, in their presentations. We also talk through three mistakes that speakers make at the beginning of their talk. That is extremely valuable real estate for a speaker. And so we talk through what, uh, what speakers need to be doing and not doing in those first few moments. We also talk through the balance of, of telling your story and making it about the audience and, and how to make your talk about the audience. So it's not just you telling about how great you are or something that you've overcome. And that's all well and good. But again, you want to structure it and you want to frame it in a way that it makes sense for the audience, that it shows them how it, it benefits and helps and serves them. So great conversation here with Nick Morgan from Public Words. Let's get right into it. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. And today we are joined by Nick Morgan from publicwords.com. Nick is a uh, speaker and also does a lot working with speakers. So he, uh, he sees both sides of the coin. So, Nick, thanks for uh, joining us today. Grant, it's a great pleasure. Glad so, we can finally connect. Finally connect. Finally yeah. connect. I know we got a lot of mutual friends in the industry and m multiple yep. people who've said, uh, hey, if you're going to have someone on the show, you got to have Nick on. So uh, glad we were able to make this work. So let's start with this. You do some speaking, but you also do a, you're more known on, on the speaker coach side. So what does your business look like in the speaking world? Yes, yeah, so, thanks. So about a third of our business is working with professional speakers to help them have better careers, to take it up to the next level, to work on their ideas first and then the, the, then the presentation of them, uh, but also their books, their community, the, the whole uh, sort of uh, 
mishmash of things that it takes nowadays to get the world's attention to be a thought leader and then to get speaking gigs as a result. Right, right. That's a big piece of our business. And then we also work with some executives who have been told typically by a 360 review that as communicators, they leave a little bit to be desired. (laughs) (laughs) And if they want to keep their jobs or be promoted or whatever the issue is, uh, they better get some executive uh, coaching. So uh, we do that. And then we also, uh, I do some speaking and we work with some um, corporations. Often those two go together. I'll get invited in to give a speech and then maybe we'll do a little coaching of the executive team, that kind of thing. What were you doing prior to this? Because you've had you've been in business with Public Words for a while, it seems like. But what were you doing prior to, to this world? I really had two things I did. I was in the academic world way back when, and I taught Shakespeare in public speaking. And from there, I got plucked by a friend of mine who called up and said, uh, Nick, how'd you like to, can we use a certain word on the air here? How, how would you like to turn that academic that you're uh, so used to uh, putting out into practical reality and test it and see if you actually know what you're talking about by becoming the speechwriter for the governor of Virginia. And he knew me well, and he knew that that I couldn't resist that challenge. And so uh, I I took it on, and and that's really when the whole coaching and and professional speechwriting side of it started. But my uh, love for public speaking goes back forever, as I say, to, to teaching Shakespeare and public speaking in the in a university setting. Gotcha. So when most speakers come to you, are they going, uh, are they already established? They've already had some traction in their business. They're trying to just, like you mentioned, take it up to the next level. Or is it speakers who are going, I'm, I'm brand new. I'm intrigued by this. I'm interested. And show me the way. I have no idea what to do next. What, what does that look like when a speaker comes to you in terms of, of how you work with them? We usually don't work with speakers who at the very beginning of their career, they usually have a little mileage under their belts and give you a great, for instance, uh, because I'm allowed to say this, uh, David Meerman Scott likes Mm -hmm. to say a lot of your listeners probably know uh, David Meerman Scott, great speaker uh, on the, in the social media and real time marketing world. And he says uh, that I earned him an extra million dollars in the last five years in speaking by, uh, helping him take it up to the next level. So I really appreciate him allowing me to say that because normally we don't talk a lot about our clients. Uh, so there's that kind of thing where we take somebody who's already good and make them better. Right. Uh, and then and then we also work with people who are who are closer to the beginning of their careers. They're, they know they want to be thought leaders. They have an idea they're passionate about. Uh, they just don't quite know how to turn that into public speaking gigs. Uh, and so they need some guidance in sort of creating the package, the branding package, the marketing package, right? the idea package, really. So, and I want to kind of go back and forth here between the what you do with working with speakers on the business side, as well as kind of on the art and craft side. So if a speaker comes to you, like you said, they've got some mileage, they've done a handful of speeches, and they're trying to figure out, like, my talk is good, but I know I'm not at the level of a 10, 15, 20, $30,000 keynote speaker. So what do you find are some of the more common things that, that speakers need to be working on and improving on to bring their talk to that kind of level? You know, there's really a Zen insight that applies to both sides of what we work on, our focus, uh, the content, and then and then the delivery side of it. Uh, speaking is performance art. And so I always say to people, Picasso, all he had to do was paint a picture once. He could hang it on the wall and millions of people could look at it. Okay. As a speaker, you got to show up every single time. And that means you've got to have the great idea. You've got to have that painting, if you will, that word painting, you got to know what that is and know that content, but then you have to show up and paint it every single time. And so for me, it's thinking about uh, really the very simple Zen insight, which is it's not about you. It's about the audience. 
And all of our understanding really stems from that. As soon as you start shifting the focus, so your idea, you're passionate about, yes, you care about it and, and you develop it and, and you do the research and, and you create the speech, but ultimately it's the audience that engages that idea and, and makes it happen and, and carries it forward and, and shares it with its communities and so on and so forth. So your goal really as a speaker in terms of the content is to figure out how do I engage that audience in a way that makes the idea have a life beyond just my speaking of it, but causes that audience to take it forward and, and share it with their friends and, and their communities and whatnot. And so that's the on the ideas side. And on the speaking side, the freest moment, and I've had speakers tell me this, yeah, Nick, you you yelled at me for years saying it's not about you, it's about the audience. And I never got it until this moment when I stood there looking at that audience and I realized, hey, the pressure's off me. It's not about my performance. I've been doing this long enough. I know how to do this. I got this. It's about whether that audience picks that idea up and carries it or not. And as soon as you have that Zen insight, then it, it, speaking is a joy. Right. So how do you find, like from a speaking perspective, how do you find that balance then of it's not about me, it's about the audience and it's up to the audience to pick up the idea and to do something with it. So where does the responsibility fall on the speaker and where does the responsibility fall on the audience? Our responsibility is show up and deliver, but at the same time, the audience has to meet us part way. So what's that balance like from a, a speaking perspective? How should we be approaching that? Well, I would say it's uh, a good speech exchanges attention for insight. That's the... Uh, that's the understanding. This The audience owes you attention. They should put down their cell phones. They should put aside their um, personal agonies for the period of that hour that you're going to have with them. And then you owe them insight. And, and if you get down to brass tacks about it, for instance, there are three classic mistakes that speakers do typically at the beginning of a speech that causes the audience not to, uh, to pay attention. One is they do chit chat. And this is really hard even for professionals to let go. They walk out there and they go, hey, it's great to be here. Oh, I see Jim's out there in the audience. Jim, you remember at the bar last night with the tie and the red wine? I had to go buy a new tie. Wasn't that hilarious? Ha ha. You know, and they do this chit chat. Anybody here from Dubuque? You know, and, and you're thinking, why are we wasting this prime real estate just doing the chit chat? And the real reason is they're trying to make themselves feel comfortable. And they hang on to this because they say, no, I'm trying to connect with the audience. Bullshit. This is making me feel comfortable. And so this is part of that Zen insight. It's not about you feeling comfortable. It's about you getting right to it. So that's the first mistake. The second mistake people make is uh, they introduce themselves. I'm Nick. Let me tell you a little bit about me. And, you know, the audience, frankly, doesn't care about you at the beginning. They might care about you later. I always liken this to, uh, to watching a James Bond movie. You know, James Bond doesn't start with the credits. It starts with an action scene. It starts with things blowing up. It starts with expensive cars being destroyed. That's what gets your attention. And then seven minutes in, they run the credits. So if you really need to introduce yourself because you don't have a good introduction, then hook the audience at first. Give them a couple of explosions, a good death scene, a few expensive cars being blown up, and then introduce yourself. But don't do it right from the gate because nobody cares. Right. And then the, the third mistake is, is the agenda thing. And I see speakers doing that. Let me tell you what I'm going to say. And immediately, I've seen this in conferences a hundred times, immediately all the audience does is pick out their cell phones and go, he's not going to actually get going for another two minutes here. I've got two more minutes to text, to do my email, to catch up, to see if anything's going wrong at home. And they just tune out. As soon as you say, let me tell you what I'm going to say. So you just got to walk out there and go into it. 
And that's the job of the speaker. The audience needs to pay attention, but the speaker needs to uh, get to it. Right. Makes sense. Okay, I want to touch on that, but I want to I want to come back to kind of this overarching idea that you said that making sure that it's it's more about the audience than it is about the speaker. What are some other ways that speakers make it about themselves that maybe like we we're not even self-aware enough to recognize that we're doing, but we come out and we're like you mentioned either we're introducing ourselves or we're doing something that that positions it as us being the in the spotlight. And so how do we change that where it is more about the audience and less about us? Yeah, so I always say start with the idea. Think about, ask yourself, what is it that I want the audience to do differently as a result of having heard the speech? Mm-hmm. Not what is my idea and how cool is it? And can I pack a lot of cool slides in? And do I have a lot of good photography? And do I have great video? And do I have uh, technology? And do I have whatever else I think I need to put this thing forward? But ask, put the focus on the audience from the start as you're thinking about it. What do I want the audience to do differently as a result of this? And if you know what that is, then you're ready to start engineering a talk that will lead the audience to that point. If you don't know what that is, you're not ready to talk to them yet. So it's really about putting the focus on the audience from the beginning of your work in thinking about how am I going to craft this speech? Put the focus on them starting there. I know a lot of times when we're talking with speakers, we always try to tell them that the the audience is asking themselves two questions. So what and now what? And so that's kind of what you touched on there. So how do you feel like most speakers just don't know the answers to those questions of I got into speaking and I was decent at it and I just it kind of evolved and snowballed from there, but I've never really stepped back to think about what is the audience doing as a result of this? Do you feel like most speakers just don't know that? Yeah, I think a lot of people, they get into speaking because they get a lot of positive feedback. Hey, you were really good. You know, you were charismatic, you were funny, you entertained the audience, right? From the start, that puts the focus on you. And that's not a good reason to get into speaking. A good reason is I got a really cool idea, but the trap on the other side of that for people who are just really care about yak butter and want to want to spread the, the word about yak butter and, sure. and change change the universe, and they're really passionate about that, they have to understand, even then, where yak powder fits into the cosmos and and the sort of relative importance of things. And they have to understand what is really the audience's problem for which yak butter is the solution. And it's thinking about that. And what I find is people do get caught up in themselves and they get caught up in, in their issues of presenting and they don't think hard enough about that audience in front of them. Uh, and to be fair, that's work that never ends. I mean, you always need to be thinking about the audience. Uh, you always need to be updating your speech to, to address the changing issues in the audience. Uh, but if you don't know what the audience's point of points of pain and pleasure are, then you're not ready to talk to them. So coming back to one of the things that you said in terms of just the, the three different mistakes that they're making, the, the chit-chat, the introduction, the agenda, is there a point where any of those three things do make sense to include in a talk, whether it be, and maybe not a ton of chit-chat, but some type of interaction with the audience, of introducing yourself, of walking through what you're going to be explaining? Should that be in there, just not at the beginning, or where does that fall? I actually like genuine in- interaction right from the start, uh, if you can do it. I'm not a big fan of the raise your hand, how many of you, I mean, that's okay. It's just very low level interaction, but I like interaction, genuine interaction with the audience, get into a discussion with the audience right from the start. Now that depends a little bit on audience size and dynamics and what kinds of people in the audience, you know, if you're at a, at a uh, conference that's an association driven thing. So there'll be people from different companies, then they're more liable to share than if you're talking to a single company and you say, how many of you had bad bosses? You know, you're not going to get a great, 
great response on that one. But if you're at an association, uh, then people love to share as long as it isn't their boss sitting next to them. So I loved to begin a talk with a, a challenging, a real question like that. And it might get a one or two word response. And then you can follow up on the people who raise their hand are really eager and you can zero in on them and have a one-on-one uh, deeper conversation with them that lasts a couple of minutes. That's a great way to begin because it gets you into it right away and it gets the audience into it right away. So now I'm a big fan of interaction. I just don't like that kind of fake interaction that all too many people use. Right. What about in terms of the introducing yourself and then just what you're going to be talking about? Should that be coming at a different point or should we be pulling that out altogether? Again, I say think of it like a movie. It used to be movies started with credits and that was in a more patient world. I mean, Casablanca, one of my favorite movies, it starts with five minutes of credits and and you don't care, you know, because you know Humphrey Bogart's coming. You're going to wait if you're a fan. But nowadays, movies start with at the very least, B-roll of, of something happening, right? Yeah. And, and maybe they'll run the credits underneath it. But there's something going on right away because they know they've got to immerse you in that story right from the start. And I suggest speakers do the same thing. Walk out there and just launch right into your opening story. And then if, yeah, if you need to introduce yourself five minutes into it, once you've hooked them, then they're going to have a very high tolerance for hearing a little bit about you. And that's okay. But not right at the start. I always say those those first three minutes, that's awesome real estate. That's when the, when that audience is most eager, most excited, uh, and most receptive, most open, right? And they're ready to hear you. And uh, don't disappoint them by saying, let me tell you a little bit about me. I went to college and, you know, I've been a grown-up ever since and I pay my taxes. And I mean, come on, we don't need to know that stuff. Right, right. Well, it's also those first few minutes is basically you can, from a speaking perspective, you can determine how the next you know, 45 to 60 minutes are going to go. And the audience is determining the same thing of within that first minute or two of, is this person worth listening to for the next 45 or 60 minutes? Uh, otherwise, they may be, may be checking out pretty quick as well. Yeah, I, uh, I worked with a speaker that he had, he called me up after I ran a blog post on the three things not to do. And he was laughing. He said, I do all three of them. And he sent me a video and he spent... 11 minutes, the first 11 <laughs> minutes of the talk with chit chat, introducing himself, and then finally getting to let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. Right. It was 11. 15, 11 minutes and 15 seconds where he finally actually started the talk. And it was a real struggle for him because he was very comfortable with that. And by the time those 11 minutes were up, you know, the audience might have all killed themselves, but he was comfortable, right? right, right. So I challenged him. The, we spent the day working on what could his opening be. And he told this story midway through the day. And I said, that's your opening. That will kill him. He couldn't believe it. For him, that was too raw and private to speak. It was about a, the time when he had to resign his job because he had refused to lay off 20% of his workforce in the depths of the recession. And I'll tell you, he tried it. He, based on my haranguing him, he agreed to try it in the next, the next time he gave the speech and he called me up several days later and he said, you wouldn't believe it. I have them eating out of the palm of my hand. And it was amazing. And it was a qualitative difference in his relationship with the audience. And he was a good speaker. He just never experienced that level of connection before, but the audience was leaning forward. They weren't blinking, you know, their mouths were open. They were just hanging on his every word because he started with something real and something they understood and a point of pain that everybody had been through that recession, the 2008, 2009 recession. And, and the layoffs that happened to so many people at that time. And it just put them right in the middle of that. And it went up from there. 
And so it sounds like from like in that situation, like he wouldn't have been able to recognize that on his own without you pointing that out or even for him realize like really stepping back and realizing that I'm spending 11 minutes of this precious time doing things that I really don't necessarily need to be doing, or at least not up front. So do you think most speakers are just not self-aware enough to realize some of those common mistakes that they're making that when you point it out, you're like, you know what, why do I do that? It's just the way that I've always done it. So do you think most speakers are just missing that, that would be obvious? if they're looking at it from a different angle? Yeah, it's a great question. I think a, a lot of people start out and they speak and they get a smile from the audience. They get a response from the audience. And secretly, a lot of speakers get into speaking because they want the audience to love them. Sure. And when they get that love, then they just keep doing more of the same. It's uh, like Have you're love. on a date. Yeah, you're on a date, you know, and, and the person opposite from you smiles at your joke. So you try to tell them the other one, you know, right. or they or. Uh, or whatever the whatever the res- positive response that you get is. So uh, I think there's, there's a great element of that. The other thing too is just the role of a coach is to have that little bit of distance, so you can say, well, objectively speaking, what I'm hearing, you could actually cut out all that and start here, and it would be a lot more powerful. And that that is hard for people to do. It's the classic: you got to kill your babies. Uh, nobody wants to do that. We have a favorite, a pet story that we tell. We think it's great, just because we love it, you know. And right. and and it's hard to admit to yourself, ah, maybe that's not the best thing. I should do something else. And, and so everybody needs a coach. Even coaches like me need need coaches to tell them those kind of hard truths. Now, from a, a topic perspective, whenever a, a speaker is working on their on their presentation or their talk, and, and one of the things that you touched on was the importance of just having that main idea that the whole talk hangs on. It seems like a lot of speakers have a difficult time with that because there, there's so many things that we want to talk about. And there's so many things that we could say, and I want to I want to be perceived as an expert on leadership and motivation and customer service and sales and in a you know innovation and all these different things. So to to take all those different topics, Nick, and boil it down to like one central idea just seems like I'm leaving so much more on the the cutting room floor there. So like, what would be some advice to speakers then from that perspective of there's so many things that I want to talk about and I'm having a brutal time boiling it down to here's the main thing that that needs to be communicated. That is extremely tough. I mean, you're absolutely right. And at the low level, I'm I'm sure you've seen and, and your listeners have seen uh, speakers that have will have 12 or 14 or 16 topics on there. They yep. And from my point of view and from uh, any speaker's bearer's point of view, that instantly screams uh, bottom feeder and, yeah. and you, you avoid them. And so that's sort of one extreme. But the idea that by narrowing your focus, you could actually increase your reach is a very hard, it's a counterintuitive Very counterintuitive, concept. yep. And yet we find that over and over and over again. And the reason is just that sad to say, as much as you've got one cool insight on leadership and another cool insight on customer service and another cool insight on teamwork and and so on and so forth, when you add it all up, there's very little that's new under the sun. And there are very few really genuinely new ideas. And the search for new ideas is in some ways actually the wrong search. What I tell people is there's only one person who can tell your story. And that's you. And until you can tell that story in a way that is hair raising, is just has me on the edge of my seat, just makes me say, okay, I'm yours for the next hour, then you're speaking too broadly. You're, you're not going to the real home truths. Uh, you're not getting deep enough into it. And it's really about that. That's what the world has patience to hear these days. And we all worry about attention deficit and, and, and sort of the world. 
being impatient and going on to the next subject and so on. And that's the way to get people's attention is to tell a story that's so unique. I always say to people, yeah, you're worried about people's attention drifting away. What about Game of Thrones? You know, you just told me you spent the weekend binge watching Game of Thrones. How many hours have you spent focused on that story? Why? Because there's only one like it, you know? I mean, it's multi-leveled and complicated and there's lots going on, but what the heck? That holds you to the screen because uh, it's such an amazing, awesome, developed story if you're a fan. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to do the same thing. And if you do that, then you don't have to worry about attention deficit. You don't have to worry about people not paying attention. And, and that's about going deep enough into your story that is the one that only you can tell. So to be devil's advocate here, though, how do you find the balance between then, because there's a lot of speakers who say, hey, why I was hired is because I have a unique story or I have a cool story or here's this unique situation that happened to me. And that's part of what the audience wants to hear. So how do you find the balance between I was hired to share my story, but at the same time, I'm also there to make it about the audience. So where do you find that that balance? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. And the danger in thinking is that my unique story is so unique that nobody else has ever heard of it. And I will tell you very personally, from my childhood, I grew up with a sister who was mentally ill and who was, uh, she was born a hermaphrodite. She would, had both yeah. sexes going on, right? And I was convinced as a kid growing up in the 60s that there was nobody else in the universe that had this particular problem. Yeah. And I learned from the internet years later that there's, an association not only of hermaphrodites trying to get along in this world and transsexuals and whatnot, but there's even one for people like me, brothers and sisters of hermaphrodites. You're not alone. And so what's amazing is the more specific you get about your story, the more you're going to find the universal appeal of it, the more you're going to find that other people share the same pain, share the same troubles and want the same insights, you know? And so it, it is counterintuitive but only by going deep into your story can you find what's shareable, what's universal. Yeah, it's one of the things I always like to share with, with other speakers is that reminding us that you are a human talking to a group of other humans. And so the more you share your humanity of this, as soon as we all leave this room, as soon as we all turn off this podcast, we all go back to husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and kids and life and life is messy and life is ugly and at times. And at the same time, life can be beautiful. So the more we can share that humanity, the more relatable we can be, the more we, it seems like we start to have this type of intimate experience with the audience of us being able to relate it to them, them being able to relate with, with us. And then ultimately, again, leading it to here's the thing that they're going to do differently as a result. Yeah. And that's, that's what's so important is uh, you do, you start with your story, but ultimately you need to turn it back to the audience. And that's what I mean about, uh, about keeping the focus on the audience in the end. It's what is the audience going to do differently? So, so I can't just to really be uh, f fully disclosive about this. I can't just tell my individual story and leave it at that. I have to tell my story and say, here are the painful lessons I learned about it, or here's what I learned to do about it. And, and here's how you might be able to uh, 
to use that story as well. Yeah, of course, you've got to do both. Right, right. Absolutely. So I'm curious, we've been talking a lot on the the art, the craft side of it. Let's switch gears and talk real quick about the, the business side of it. So you mentioned one of the things that you, you help a lot of speakers do is to help with their overall business of they're doing some speaking, but like you said, they, they want to ramp it up either in the number of, of gigs that they're doing or in the fee range that they're they're quoting and getting. So what are some of those common things that can help a speaker go from, let's say they're doing you know 20 gigs a year at 5,000 a pop and they want to get to 40 gigs a year for 10 to $20,000 a pop. What are some of those kind of checkpoints that they need to go through or be aware of that would help them to move up that scale? Yeah, my news is bad there. I'm not like those people that say, uh, you know, take this uh, one hour e-course and, and you'll suddenly be making millions. Sure. I wish I wish that were the case. Um, so I'm the guy that tells you it's much harder and worse than you think. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, that, I don't I don't know why I say that. It cuts out half my business right from the start. But uh, <laughs> What I tell people is that um, the the competition is getting worse and worse. There has been a huge increase just in the number of speakers, sure. uh, just objectively, especially since 2008, 2009. I think there was this whole generation of people, if you will, that got laid off and said, what am I going to do with my life? And a lot of them, some percentage of them turned to public speaking. So there was just this huge increase in, in uh, speakers per se. And then I think just a lot of awareness too, that this is a possible career choice and you can make money at it and you can be successful at it. So the, the, the bad news is there's a lot more people chasing that that brass ring that that what we all want the the 30 or 40 or 50 gigs or whatever it is and so i tell people there is no shortcut and the like say half the people don't want to hear that and they go their merry way and that's fine and the people who do then what we focus on is first of all we focus on the idea uh what's what is the idea and how can we craft it in a way that that resonates with an audience and so it's not about being novel and, hey, I found six new ways to do leadership that nobody else has ever thought of before, but it's about weaving your story in with the hard-won truth that you've learned, but doing it in a way that does hook in with the audience's points of pain, that kind of thing. And then you need to figure out how you're going to develop a community. And in, in, in the world these days, that means you got to give something away for free. That's what the internet demands. And then you've got to figure out a series of price points along the way to uh, where you presumably your speech or, or maybe some high level workshop or something is the top end, right? What are the things you can give away along the way? Is it an e-course? Is it webinars? Is it various things? I mean, they're, they're, the products keep changing and they vary according to the individual, but you got to figure out a sort of suite of things that uh, you can do for people so that it's not just one big buy all the time. And then you've got to get the word out to the community in a way that's engaging. And uh, I'm astonished how many times I'll get a call from somebody who says, I want to be a speaker and we'll have start to have this conversation. And then they'll say, uh, yeah, I don't want to blog. And I'll say, okay, so what are you going to give away for free? Would you do podcasts? And I go, no, I don't want a podcast. No, I just want to speak. And so I'm saying, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You've got one product. It costs $25,000 and you expect people to buy that, right? You've got nothing else you can give them. And they'll go, well, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way before. So the way the world works nowadays, you you have to think in terms of a, a suite of projects, uh, products or, or, or a range of things that can engage people for free and for a little bit of money and uh, maybe a book, maybe uh, a series of uh, e-courses, as I say. Every single case is a little bit different, but you got to think along those lines. I find most speakers have the difficult time of figuring out of 
all the different things they could be doing. So I'm interested in speaking. I'm interested in blogging. I'm interested in coaching, consulting, podcasts, courses, webinars, fill in the blank. I'm interested in a lot of those different things. But the reality is, is something's going to happen first and something's going to happen last. And I can't do all those things, at least not today. So for a speaker who is especially either getting started or in those early stages, what should they be focused on in terms of building and growing their business? Do you think that they need to be doing a blog? Do you think that they need to be focused on just screw everything else, just focus on the talk, make the talk killer, and that's your best marketing asset and tool. So where should the the focus be for for speakers in those early stages? Yeah, I wish I could say there was one thing you could focus on. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? Speaking is a complicated little business. It's often a a sole proprietorship. It's a one-man shop or one-woman shop, and yet you got to do a lot of things. And I would say, okay, it's urgent to build your community because without the community, it's not going to happen. You're not going to get the gigs. And I would also say it's urgent to develop your idea and so that that is cool. And it's also urgent to develop your speech because when you get that invite, you want to be ready to go, right? Right, So there are about three things you need to do. You need to have that killer idea in the form of a speech and then in the form of some series of products that that start with free and end up with uh, costing money that you're uh, providing there and you've got to be developing your community you do all three of those things and you'll be rocking and rolling at some point now what i say to people literally though when they call and they say is there anything i can do to get started i've never spoken before but i just know i want to do it then i say go to toastmasters start speaking the fastest way to find out whether you really want to have a career in speaking is to do it and it's a whole lot easier to get free speaking engagements than it is to get paid ones and and as you know i'm sure there are two different tracks even up at very high level conferences the keynote speakers the paid ones yep. are judged in one way the free speakers who are doing the breakout sessions are judged in another way it's pretty easy for most people in the business world nowadays to connect with somebody who connects with somebody who connects with somebody that can get them into doing a breakout session at a conference in their particular uh, field of expertise or, or, or the organization, the professional organization, their industry, or that kind of thing. So you can test the waters in those kind of settings and be prepared to give a few free speeches for a while. And, and I do hear a lot from speakers who have gotten great feedback in that and developed their ideas, and then they're starting to get their the invitation slowly but surely for the paid ones on top of that. That's a way to go, literally. And just if you really think you want to speak, Give a few free speeches and see how that goes and see how you actually feel about it and what the what the travel is like and, right. and you know what the experience of being a speech. It's an adrenaline high and then it's an adrenaline low. And how do you manage that? And do you feel good about that? I mean, some people say, oh, yeah, I want to speak. And then they give one speech and they go, oh, my God, I never want to go through that again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> good news that they found out. <laughs> The highs are really high and the lows are really low. And even like you kind of, uh, you kind of alluded to there, whenever you're developing that main idea and you're developing that, that the talk itself, it's really kind of an educated guess until you get in front of a live audience. And I think this is going to resonate. I think this is going to be funny. I think this is going to work, but you really don't know until you actually get out there. So let's wrap up with this for someone that, that may be listening to this going, you know what, Nick, I've been doing speaking for a little while. It's one of the things that I've, I'm intrigued by, I'm interested in, but you're exactly right that it is a lot of freaking work. And so it's not like this thing of the people that we, you know, that we may all look up to or admire and think, well, you know, they just became this $25,000 keynote overnight. No, no, no. Like they've been doing this for years and years and years. And you think that they just get up and wing it. But when reality, they've spent hours and hours and hours working on their talk, 
pacing their hotel room, talking to themselves, going over the material to the point that by the time they get up, they absolutely nail it. So the reality is, is to get to that point, whatever that point is that we all aspire to in the speaking world, it is so much work. And so most people, it seems like they are maybe, I don't know if they're disillusioned on how much work it does take to get to that point, or they're just not willing to put in the work. But for those who are going, you know what, I do want to do this, but it is a lot of work and I am discouraged and I'm wondering if it's worth it. What would you say to those speakers that would keep them going and moving forward? Yeah, I mean, the next step, if you're that person that you're describing who really does love it and has done some and, and is ready to, uh, to try to, to do it a little better, then I would say it's time to start thinking about branding your idea and yourself and, and putting the word out there in terms of a website that makes sense with uh, an integrated set of ideas and branding and marketing and so on and so forth. Because the first thing that happens when you tell the universe, I'm ready to start speaking at a higher level or a professional level, or whatever, you, you'll get that gig. It, it's magic the way it happens because you put the word out and, and it may not be magic. It may be because you've told six of your friends and they tell six of their friends. And, and so you get the invite, right? Then at that point, the person who's doing the inviting, the first thing that person's going to do is Google you. And if they have any experience in the speaking business, they're going to be able to tell right away, is this guy or gal a professional? ready to go or not. And if they Google you and they can't come up with anything, if all they find is a LinkedIn profile or if all they find is a, a Twitter thing, if they can't find a website that says, hey, I'm Grant Baldwin, I'm the speaker, I look like this, you know, here's some, here's some praise. Basic from, things. Yeah, just the basic stuff, praise from a third party to the testimonials and things like that. If they can't find that, then they know you're not ready for prime time yeah. and not even close, you know. So if you're at that level that you're describing, then start to get that piece together. And, and nowadays, that used to cost tons of money to hire the uh, the videographer and, and to get the website up, you know, but nowadays it's a, it's a hundred bucks on WordPress to get started. So you can do it. It doesn't take much money. It just takes a little time. But I would just, with a final caveat, I would say, because I've had a couple of clients over the years who have tried to treat it as a hobby. You know, I'm going to keep my mm -hmm. current job. I'd like to be a speaker. Right. I've been successful. I want to leave a legacy. I just want to share my beautiful wisdom with other people. And they treat it as a hobby. You know, I, I'd, I'm going to have a little fun with it, but I'm not going to put in the time. I'm not going to, I'm not willing to think about it as a job. Ain't going to work. And especially not in this era. You've got to think about it. it it's like starting another business. And unless you're real about that, then it isn't going to happen. If you put in a kind of a half-hearted effort, you'll get a half-hearted response. Right. And that's just the reality today. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's, it's very rewarding when you're on stage and you're able to, you know, that you're able to make some type of impact and difference. But at the same time, it's uh, there's a lot of non-glamorous, non-sexy parts to the business that, that nobody sees and nobody seems to like to, to always talk about. So, Nick, thank you so much for uh, being generous with your time and sharing some of your insights and wisdom here. If people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, maybe even look into some of your coaching, where can we go? Publicwords.com. That's words with a D, not works with a K. That gets you the garbage <laughs> trucks. <laughs> we will not. We will not send you. Uh, send you to uh, the the landfill and the the trash trucks of the world. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks for the time, Nick. Appreciate you. You bet it. Thank you. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nick Morgan. Again, you can check out his work over at publicwords.com, W-O-R-D-S, publicwords.com. Also check out some of his books there, again, including the one, uh, Give Your Speech, Change the World. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode, episode 153. We will catch you next time. You're awesome.